Welcome to the SLGND, Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, the interview series. This is kind of a little special thing we're doing where we're bringing in people from the organization and giving our listeners a chance to get to know them a little bit better. I'm Gary Lawless, Vegas Golden Knights Insider, and today we're joined in studio by Dave Gosher, play-by-play man of the Golden Knights broadcasts on television. Welcome to the studio, Dave. Thank you, Lawman. This is wonderful to be with you. I can't even put it into words. This is unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think people know what you know about hockey. They get to listen to you on television and watch you on television on a on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, one of the things you don't get to do when you're on TV is talk a lot about yourself, and uh, you're really good at that, talking about yourself. Nobody so. wants to hear it. <laughs> so we will. I think I want to delve into a little bit of uh, of how Dave Gosher ended up ended up here. I know part of the story. I'm sure there's things I don't know, and it, it's really fascinating. When I was thinking about doing this series, I remembered a taxi cab ride with you and Shane Knighty from Manhattan to LaGuardia and we got stuck in a traffic jam in Queens and I said Dave tell me about you and we had this great conversation this is when we were really started getting to know you I wasn't calling you Jack anymore so <laughs> that was good we'll tell that story later <laughs> so it was uh you know I kind of wanted to kind of get down to that and uh Tell us about Dave Gosher. Where are you from? Well, uh, long story, but I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. So I grew up about 45 minutes south of Boston. And um, from the time I was probably five years old, I started skating when I was five. You know, it's the um, one of our neighbors was coaching a youth hockey team in, in my hometown. And he came to my mom and said, uh, I think Dave should try and play hockey. Now, I had never been on skates, you know, so I... Um, we got a pair of skates, and I started skating when I was five and playing youth hockey. And, and honestly, Gary, from that point to this day, I can't remember a time where hockey wasn't a huge part of my life. So that's a lot of years now down the road. But um, grew up in Pawtucket, an only child. And as you know, sometimes that shows itself, even in the later years. Um, you ever hear the term only child syndrome? OCS, that's me. But in any event, um, yeah, grew up in Pawtucket which was very middle class. Um, What's your mother's name? My mom's name's Barbara. Um, My dad was Paul. My mom passed away when I was 19. Uh, She had diagnosed when I was a sophomore in high school, I guess before my, between my sophomore and junior, I was 15, she got diagnosed with with cancer. You know, and back then it was a lot different. You know, it was, um, you know, she had breast cancer and, you know, that whole roller coaster of thought it was in remission and then it came back and you know just a you know horrible horrible disease but uh you know she she fought like hell for almost four years and um you know so I lost her when I was 19 and I think that kind of even though I was late in my teenage years I think that was kind of the end of my childhood like that's it you know that was uh forced you to grow up pretty quick and me and my dad you know my my dad you and your dad even closer didn't it yeah it did because you know my mom was um my dad was a truck driver so he drove truck for 30 years and uh you know, God rest him. Like, that's a real job. We'll get to that in a minute because yeah, uh, you, yeah. you tell a great story. Yeah, about I've been that. trying to avoid a real job for a long <laughs> time. But, you know, he and he didn't do a lot of long haul stuff. It wasn't like he went across the country, but he'd go probably as far as Pittsburgh, which from Pawtucket, Rhode Island, is a good 12, 13 hours. So, you know, my mom and I were together all the time. So, you know, I think. She kind of spoke a lot for the two of us, but you know, I remember not long after she passed, I think my dad and I came to the realization, all right, well, it's just the two of us now, you know? So, uh, 
Yeah, so that was, you know, it's um, it's interesting. I think about it, Gary. I, I graduated high school, and I was one of those kids that, like, I, I wanted to try and play hockey, but, you know, I was pretty realistic that to go on and play at any sort of a level above that was going to be a stretch. But I had applied to two schools. I applied to the University of Rhode Island, and I applied to Fitchburg State College, which is a little tiny school in central Massachusetts. Fitchburg. Fitchburg, F-I-T-C-H, yeah. And... Quite honestly, I didn't really want to go to URI because, and no offense to it, but most of the kids that I went to high school with were going to go there. And I kind of wanted to change up the scenery. So I had applied to Fitchburg State, got in, I had talked to the hockey coach, and I was going to go there and major in communications and play, it was like D2 hockey. And back then it was different. I, uh, they did orientation like late in the summer. I want to say it was August 22nd or something. You would go... You would go to the orientation, you'd meet your roommates, you'd see the campus, you'd get your class schedule, you'd go home and come back right after Labor Day in the States. And I went there, and this would have been in the, in the summer of 87, and I hated it. Didn't, you know, just didn't like the whole scene. You know, I, I've learned, if anything, over the years is you listen to your own instincts. Trust your instincts. Yes, and my instincts were, this is not for you. So my mom was still alive at the time, and my grandmother, her mom, was still alive at the time. And they... You know, picked me up at the end of orientation, drove home. I didn't say a word, which, as you know, for me not to talk, <laughs> that's saying something. That's a minor miracle. So that night, um, I'll never forget it. I was sitting at our kitchen table, and my mother came to me, and mothers know these things. And she said to me, you don't want to go to school there, do you? I said, no, I don't. And she wasn't mad. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. We had already made a down, like a down payment or whatever it was. Deposit. Deposit. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd like to go do a postgraduate year at a prep school. Because one of my friends that I grew up with, I'd played Little League Baseball with and hockey with, had gone to a prep school in New Hampshire and gone to Boston University to play D1 hockey. Now, I knew playing D1 was a stretch, but I figured I can do better than what I'm going to do. The issue was it was late August. I couldn't apply to prep schools. So I had to take a year off just out of circumstance. So she said, we're well, going to have to find a job. So I had lifeguarded the previous summer at the pool in my hometown, twirling the whistle, the zinc oxide on the nose. No sunblock. We had sun oil on. We were trying to attract the sun yes, back uh, then, uh, put the tin foil out, anything yes. we could do. Now, you claim you were lifeguard of the I year. I was lifeguard of the year in 87. Is there, is there any There's no proof of any awards. Okay, good enough. Lifetime okay. Achievement Award Perfect. in 92. But anyway, six summers in a row out there twirling the whistle. Yeah. Anyway, the boys club in my hometown needed a lifeguard. And within two days, I had a full-time job. Long story longer, it was probably the best decision I ever made because I had that whole year to spend with my mother. And the following year, I went away to prep school. So you're 17 at this time? I was 18. I was 18. Yeah, I was 18, but I took that year off and then turned 19 and went to prep school. You know, a postgraduate is kind of like a 13th grade, right? To try to improve your... My grades were okay. My SAT scores were not good, but those got better. Anyway, I went away in the fall of 88, she passed away in March of 89. So I, I think back on it now, like of wow. all the decisions you make in life, like I, right? I had that year to spend with her, you know? So, um, but yeah, so that was where it kind of, she passed and I was, a, I was, I hadn't got accepted to Boston University yet. It was my top um, choice of all the schools I had applied to and it was the last one I heard from. 
And fortunately, I was able to sneak in. I'm not sure how, but I was able to sneak in and, and go from there. I want to get to that, but I first want to finish with your parents because there's another uh, uh, one of my favorite stories tells me a lot about Dave Gosher. Uh, your dad had a place where he used to go for for a beer after work. <laughs> yeah, he went to Joe's Bar, you know, and he uh, so he would he was like clockwork four to six Joe's Bar. It was about if it was four to six four to oh, six. Boy, did yeah. they have it good? Oh yeah. Imagine if six. we disappeared for yeah. two hours oh, every day gosh, for, right. for a couple of cold ones. Well, and, you know, and, and even when my mom was alive, he would after he got done work. It was a different bar at the time, but he would stop and have a couple of cold ones on the way home. I'm like this, what a gig he had, yeah. you know. <laughs> but he was four to six, and he would, um, you know, routinely. So every once in a while, he, you know, after I got the the Bruins job, I would and was living in the Boston area, I would still drive down and, and surprise him. But he, uh, he, you know, after he passed, when it, did he pass? He passed in February of 2011. Yeah. So it was right in the middle of the year the Bruins won the cup. Yeah. Um, so he, so we had the service and everything. And then where my parents are buried, we kind of took a circuitous route from the church to go by his bar. And like, you know, I'll never forget it. Like looking out the, the windows of the car we were in and everyone's standing there. Like it was like, I get goosebumps thinking about it. So we went back there after the, we went to the cemetery, we went back to his bar as I, you know, I said to my cousins and my other members of my family who had never really been to this bar. It, it was not a, a bar on the Vegas Strip. This was a dive <laughs> bar in Pawtucket, Rhode yeah. Island. So we all went in there for a beer and kind of toasted my dad. And he had a stool he sat at. If you walked in this bar, down to the left, the last stool, and they wouldn't let anybody sit in that stool. They had an empty Bud Light with, you know, with an empty chair, and they had the Someone from the bar had gone to his funeral mass. They had like the the pamphlet, the brochure from the mass in his spot. So yeah, it was. Uh, so yeah, it's you know it's it's weird, Gary. I think and look, we all go through our our crap in life. But it's weird when you're an only you know. Sometimes I think when you're an only child and you lose one parent, it's bad enough. When both go, you're kind of like, now what the hell do I do? But I was you know. You just kind of you do the best you can with it because I mean you don't nobody gets through this you know unscathed. No, and uh, I would you know obviously you know, I'm lucky enough that both my parents are alive, but somewhere in there you met a woman named Christine who became yeah. uh, uh, you know you won the lottery there. Very but. lucky girl. Yep, yeah, very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and she's been you know look she um it for what. You know how it is Gary like our our life and our what we do it's we're not around a lot. And some people would tell you maybe that's why you have a successful relationship because you're not around to screw it up. At least that may be in my case. But yeah, I mean, she's been, um, yeah, she's been terrific. I mean, even for us to pick up, you know, she left a good job in Boston to come up and come out here because she knew it was what I wanted to do. And she was willing to, I think, kind of take a risk. And, and um, but yeah, it's funny. We, um, there's a bar in Boston called The Fours. Yeah, it's a great sports bar. It's across the street from the garden where the Bruins and Celtics play. And uh, she had worked there in a variety of roles. And, you know, I had met her there. I had probably been in the place 50 times, if not more, and just got, kind of get introduced one night through a mutual friend of mine. And um, that kind of started it from there. And then, you know, the rest is it. Well, it's not total history. I guess it's still unfolding history. Yes, it still point. is. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's hope that keeps unfolding. Yeah, there you go. So you go to BU. And uh, have a good time there. And then uh, 
decide you're going to be a broadcaster in hockey? Or how, how do you go from BU to uh, Wheeling, West Virginia? Well, with a map. <laughs> Literally with a, remember the AAA trip tick? Trip tick. There was no uh, Google. There was no Google Maps back You'd then. You'd actually go for, for young people. You would go to a AAA office and say, hey, I want to go to, from Boston to Wheeling, West Virginia. And they would, they'd go and they'd find the right one. And then right. they'd take a marker and they would, Put the marker down the highway and and flip page over page, yep. and it was like a little notepad that had a, that flipped over, and uh, you got the marker. You just followed the marker and flipped. Yep. The, uh, not, not you weren't allowed to text and drive, but you were allowed to trip ticket yeah. drive. There's no navigation system. No, no nav. Yeah. Well, no. to your point, Gary, I called AAA and said to the woman, "I need to go from Boston to Wheeling, West Virginia," and she literally said, uh, "Where's that again?" Yeah. I said, "Wheeling, West Virginia." And I, you know, how'd goes, you get the job? Um, so the job came about, I did two years of play by play at BU. So I did hockey, football, and baseball, but hockey was my, you know, this is on the college radio, college station. radio station. Nobody listened. Nobody cared. They weren't missing much because it wasn't very good, but it was, you know, I say that now, but it was good enough. And somewhere I think in storage, I have the, you remember the days of cassette tapes. I have on cassette tape. Most of the games I did my senior year of college at BU, which I should probably burn and get rid of them. But anyway, I made a resume tape back then, cassette tape, and sent it to a bunch of teams. And the team in Wheeling called me, and the GM of the team is a guy named Larry Kish, who had coached the Whalers, Hartford Whalers, way back when, coaching the American League for a bit. And uh, one of my roommates at the time called and said, hey, Dave, Larry Kish from Wheeling's on the phone for you. And I thought he was full. Of, I was like, yeah, yeah right. Because I had sent my tape back then, you know, like on a Monday. They probably got it Thursday. And like he called me the next day, and I'm yeah. thinking... So he said to me, Dave, if you could make your way down here, we'd love to talk to you about the job. Make your way down here didn't sound like they were flying me to Wheeling. No. Well, there's no airport in Wheeling, first off. So, so now you're Now we're into the trip tick. Now you're trip, trip, you call triple Trip tick. Yeah. And um, the woman said, yeah, that'll take about a week. I said, well, okay, I need it in two days. <laughs> so they rushed it through. <laughs> and I drove my parents' 1988 Olds Cutlass Sierra from my apartment in well, just outside of Boston. Those are the dark days Those, of the Cutlass, yeah. by the way. Yes, the right? bench seats, the bench seats yes. completely. Uh, you know, yeah. Ours was white with like navy blue All or something right. like okay. that, you know. We had a Pontiac Prigiana, 77. That was my yeah. first ride. That's, yeah, Continue. beautiful. We had a, the Plymouth Reliant K, the K car ah, back in go. the day. But anyway, I drove to Wheeling, 12 hours. Never heard of the place in my life. Didn't, uh, you know, and, and I look, and now I think back, like, I love the people there, but when you're picking up and moving, from, you couldn't be more of a polar opposite moving from Boston to Wheeling, West Virginia. Yeah. So I um, I drove down, I had dinner with Larry Kish that night, and then the next day I kind of met with the staff in the office. And I left kind of not knowing. Like I was 23 at the time, I think. I didn't know, like, is this going to take, the, the, am I one of 10 people? Am I, where am I in this, right? And then about two weeks later, maybe 10 days later, they called and said, uh, would like to offer you the job. So, what was the salary? So the salary was twenty thousand dollars. And if you're me in my twenty-three-year-old brain, living in an apartment in Boston, I'm thinking, well, first off, someone's going to actually pay me to do this. They're going to pay me to call games. Now, I wasn't smart enough to do the math. Right, twenty thousand divided by fifty-two weeks minus, you know, <laughs> Social Security and taxes. Like, what's that net out to? Yeah, the answer is not a lot. Not a lot. But. It was, you know, it was, I think. Could you, you could pay rent? Yeah, yep, I could a- pay rent. So my first place I lived in was in Shady Side, Ohio. 
Real place. Perfect. Shady side, Ohio. <laughs> $280 a month. And they paid for your cable, right? And then about a year into it, our system. that must have been a rocket. Oh, what a spot that what was, spot. I'll tell you. Shag carpets. Yep, it's on like uh, linoleum tile. <laughs> the place was, you walked in, living, I can still see it, living room to the left, kind of a kitchen area to the right. Bathroom, bedroom. That's the whole place. Done. But, you know, at, what else do you need at that point? You know, so I, I was there for a year in that spot. And then our assistant general manager, a fellow by the name of Marty Nash, he had a condo in Wheeling, closer, you know, uh, to the rink. Kind of, it was really nice, kind of on the base of a mountain near some golf courses. And I went from paying 280 a month to 390 a month. Ooh, Marty. So now, I'm like, oh, wait, I don't know if I can, I don't know if so I can swing it. sharing this. with Marty? No, no, he owned it. He, he was married and had, oh, had okay. kids, but he only was a, was a rental for him. Okay. So I ended up, um, I was there my, you know, my second year in Wheeling, I was there and, uh, and it was great. You know, I, I met some, honestly, Gary, some great people. One of my best friends to this day is a fellow by the name of Mark Landini, who was in our sales and kind of, um, a little bit of everything, sales, media relations, a little bit of jack of all trades for us. Um, you know, he and I would play golf, you know, in the summer and, you know, in the minors you worked 12 months a year, you know, it wasn't just do the games. It was, they're not going to hire five people to do five jobs. They're going to hire one person to do five jobs. So in the summer I sold advertising, I would go out and, you know, try to Try, try, yeah. right? Like his, you were not uh, no, Alec Baldwin from no, uh, from Glengarry no, Glen Ross. You were not. All. You were not ABC. Always be oh, closing. No, I remember going into like a pet store, and the guy had a pet snake on the front desk. Of it. I'm like, and I'm petrified of snakes. Yeah. So I had all I could do not to hightail it out of there. But anyway. My buddy Mark Landini and I would, you know, we'd work until I five. could just see you and your dockers and your oh, uh, my button and, down and shirt. You, and you'd be backing up. Uh, and <laughs> okay. I'll take that as a no. It was unbelievable. But anyway, my buddy Mark Landini and I would play golf. You know, we'd be done work at five and we'd be on the first tee by 530, play till a good dark. So we had a chance to play a lot of golf. And um, But yeah, so I did it two years, Gary. And I will say this. So this would have been in 93, 4, and 5. Wheeling's about an hour from Pittsburgh. And the Penguins had just won back-to-back cups then in the early 90s. So it, Wheeling was a very rich hockey environment. Our building held 5,400 people, and we, ad, we averaged 5,000 fans a night. It was a big, like literally big fish, small pond. We did FM radio. We did a dozen games on television simulcasting, which for the East Coast Hockey League oh, yeah. was back then was huge. Yeah. So anyway, I was able to... You know, I did that for for two years and 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 really had a blast. You know, there was there wasn't really any money in it, but at that point, you didn't really need much money. I'll tell you what, it's uh, my so my first gig was uh, in Thunder Bay, Ontario, which is uh, you know seventeen hours from uh, from near Toronto where I grew up. And I can remember I drove there the first time and I had no idea how far it was going to take me, and I got to Sault Ste. Marie. I was nine hours into the trip, and I got to Sault Ste. Marie, and I thought, okay, I'll. I'll either sleep here or I'll uh, or I'll trudge on. And uh, I pulled up to just roll my window down. R- literally rolled the window down. Did not press a button. I it, it was that you yeah, had to roll it days. down. It was a Toyota Corolla. Had the lock your car I, with I, the key the, too. The guy right? beside me rolled his down, and I said, uh, "How far to Thunder Bay?" He goes, "You got about nine and a half to go, son." And I said, okay. And I found a hotel, uh, the Canadian Motor Inn. And yeah. Bob McKenzie and I have gone over this uh, Not the over Ritz. the years because uh, he stayed there as well. Anyways, I spent 
uh, a couple of years in Thunder Bay and then moved on to, uh, so that was the Colonial League. Then I moved on to Winnipeg, to the American League. I was in the American League for 10 years. Yeah. Then the NHL came back and I, uh, and I advanced to, to the National Hockey League. Duva started in the East Coast Hockey League with the Trenton Devils, went to the Syracuse Crunch, to the Vegas Golden Knights. Dave Gosher went to, well, we'll finish your story, but I'll I'll help a little bit. Wheeling in the East Coast League, Providence in the American League, and then Boston. How many years on radio in Boston? 17. 17, before you get the ch- the cherry gig, the TV gig with the Golden Knights. Shane Knighty started in the East Coast Hockey League, played in the, Amer- played in the International League, the American League, got to the National League, and then became that experience for all of us at that very minor level has shaped us all in some way. Yeah, and I think, Gary, it's a great point because I don't think um, I can impress upon it. And look, I, I think like yourself, you, you're asked to speak to young people, but high school kids or college kids, and you know how do, we, how do you get into this? How do you get your jo- the jobs we have? And I tell them, look, there, there are dues to be paid, and it's not always going to be easy, and there's not always going to be much money in it. But I do think if you're willing to kind of stay with it, your chances of advancing a lot of times just by battle of attrition improve because there's a lot of people that won't hang in there, you know, and it's one thing I think about it now, you know, I spent two years in Wheeling and five in Providence. So that's seven years for me in the, you know, in yeah. the, at the minor league level. But I, when you're in it, Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees because two years turns into three, four, five. You mentioned 10 in the American Hockey League. Um, I'll tell you a quick little funny aside. One of my good friends is Don Orsillo. Don Orsillo was the TV voice of the San Diego Padres. For a long time, he was the TV voice of the Boston Red Sox. When we were both younger, I did the Providence Bruins, and he did the Pawtucket Red Sox. He was the play-by-play guy on radio for them. I was the radio guy for the P Bruins. So for the same five-year period from 1995 to 2000, we, we were the two guys that called the, the two minor league teams in the state of Rhode Island. We would get together occasionally and have a beverage and say, basically have this conversation, how long do you hang in there? Yeah. Because what happens is other guys get jobs in Major League Baseball or the NHL. And we would think, look, we're not the best and we're not the worst, but we're better than he is, yeah. whoever got that job. Yeah, you, you're running your own race, though. Yes, and it's you It's hard have to, to know that, right? Exactly. Because you know? it's not always, you know, I tell, I've told kids this, Gary, when I was in um, Providence, the NHL expanded to Nashville, Columbus, Minnesota, and Atlanta. I sent my stuff, probably at that point it was a CD, to all four of those teams. I think the only team I even heard back from was Nashville, just with the perfunctory, we're good. The yeah. other three I never heard back from. When the Bruins job came open, that was a different story. Now, it was far from a slam dunk, and I, we can get into it more later, but you know, I had been doing their team for five years in the minors. I was a little bit of a known commodity. I wasn't some random guy sending his CD to Atlanta, and that was a different story. But I, I think that... It's invaluable that experience you get along the way because when you do make it, quote unquote, I guess, it's a lot more rewarding. It's a lot more rewarding. And I'm not big sometimes on patience, but I think it's vital. I think you have to be, you have to have patience, but you also have to be determined. If you're going to make it, you've got to find a way to hang in there even when you don't want to hang in there. It's, it's interesting. The, these little decisions or little moments. In 1995, the hockey news was the Bible. In hockey, right. there was the internet hadn't really 
you know, taken off and hadn't taken control of the sports scene. So you got the hockey news, you know, it was a weekly magazine. You got it on Friday and bang, you, you know, you, you went poured through it and it was fascinating. They're hiring a senior editor, mid-range editor. I go through the whole interview process. Steve Dryden is the editor of the hockey news and he phones me on a Friday and says, Gary, in many ways, I think I should hire you, but for some reason, I think I'm I, 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 I'm I'm not sure. I don't think it's the right decision for you, or it's the right decision for me. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's the right decision for me. <laughs> but this is in 1995. He hires a, he hires another gentleman, a great guy, a guy named Sam McKeg. And anyway, life goes on. I end up in in Winnipeg. They've got a Canadian Football League team. I get on that beat. I I become the columnist of the Winnipeg Free Press. I've got my own radio show. Life is going good. The American League is there. I still get to do uh, lots of hockey. I'm having a I'm having a good time. And and at that point in time, my dream had always been to to be on on, a, on the on the beat on an NHL team. But now you know I've met this young lady who's going to become my wife, and I'm staying here. I'm I'm in I'm staying in Winnipeg. I got offered a job at the National Post. I said no. Anyways, then I start writing these stories about maybe the Jets coming back. Well, one day the phone rings and the guy at the other end of the of the line is Steve Dryden, and he is now uh, the executive producer of all things hockey at TSN. And TSN remains the place if you're if you have an opportunity to talk about hockey. TSN is the place to do it. It's still, it's it's the ESPN of Canada. And it, um, mm-hmm. when it comes to hockey, it's still the authority. Well, he said, says to me, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to hire you to be our guy in Winnipeg. Now, this is on a freelance kind of side gig. I'm like, well, what is, I go, I'm, first of all, I start laughing. I go, Steve, you, you know who you're talking to. He goes, I thought it would take at least 10 minutes into the conversation <laughs> before you brought this up. Long memories. <laughs> I'm like, well, and, 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 and then he starts laughing. He goes, times have changed, right? You don't need me anymore. I need you. And uh, I, I ended up, you know, I started at that time and I ended up becoming their national columnist right. uh, down the road a little while later. And Steve's a, a dear friend of mine. So it, you're running your own race and every race is different. Yeah. And it, you know, and it's funny because I, so I'll kind of advance it forward. So I was in wheeling for two years and I thought to myself, you know, because there had been some jobs in the AHL and, um, that I hadn't really, I wasn't in that big a rush, but the Providence Bruins job came open, um, in 1995. And it's funny. I was, I had a friend of mine that I had gone to school with at, at BU, but she was from Rhode Island. And, um, you know, truth be told, we had dated a little bit, but that had kind of ended. And I was just calling a letter, like, I'm going to be home. You want to grab a drink? Whatever. She knew some people that were involved in the front office of the Providence Bruins. And she just kind of said, matter of fact, like, talk about burying the lead. I think we talked about <laughs> for 10 minutes about other stuff. And said, oh, by the way, I think the Providence Bruins are looking for a broadcaster. I said, What? So she said, yeah, it's what I'm hearing through the grapevine. So anyway, she said, this is a, a fellow by the name of Randy Scott, who was still a good friend of mine to this day. You get a call. This is the guy, I think. So I remember calling him the next day because I was going home to visit my dad. Yeah. Um, for It was a 4th of July week. And I was going home to visit my father. I was going to be driving back. And uh, I called the Providence Bruins, and I talked to Randy. 
And uh, I said, you know, I'm Dave Gosher, and I'm from Pawtucket. And blah, you know, he, he's like, yeah, whoopee, you know. But he said, uh, well, when are you going to be in town? I said, well, I'm going to be around next week. All right, call me when you get in town. Maybe we can meet, you know. So in the meantime, I had sent, I, I had done a tape, another cassette. I think it was a cassette still. Sent it to him and then went in. And I'll never forget it, Gary. It had to be, it was one of those 95-degree days in the summer in Rhode Island. 90-degree humidity. I don't think I owned a suit. I think I had a sports coat and a pair of khakis and shoes, right? Dockers. Dockers. Sperry Topsiders. <laughs> How could you resist? Yeah. <laughs> so I remember it was hot as Hades going in there. And um, similar, like interviewed, went back, wasn't sure where it stood. And then two weeks later, I was, I was moving back to Rhode Island. And I will tell you, I, I left... Now, I, I left for, because it was a, a hell of a chance to move up a, chance, a step on the ladder, but I left for $500. I was making $22.5 in Wheeling, and I, the P. Bruins said, oh, we can pay you $23. Okay, well, it's better than $22.5, yeah. and it's the American Hockey League. I bring it up only because it really wasn't enough money in, in Rhode Island to really go and have your own place. So for the first year, I was doing the Providence Bruins games, I was living in the house I grew up in, in my old bedroom with the same posters up on the wall. It was a very odd dynamic because professionally I knew I was moving forward, but I'm like, well, what the hell? I'm in, yeah. I'm in the house I grew up in, in the same bedroom. And, but anyway, then after that year, I kind of figured out some other things. But yeah, that's, that was the next step. How did you get the big gig with the Bruins? The, the big, gig. Kid came, a big gig came about, um, so I've been doing the, the Providence Bruins for five years. Uh, you know who Bob Newmeyer is? Bob Newmeyer's um, worked for NBC, uh, NBC Sports for a long time. Big horse racing guy. Um, and Numi was one of those guys that he knows his stuff when it comes to the ponies. And he handicaps racing. It's kind of like, uh, like an Eddie Olchek yep. to a certain degree. He knows his stuff. Anyway. By the way, Ed texted me on the weekend and told me, take the 13 horse. He sent me an exactor. You know, go oh, with yeah. this, this, and this. and. I went with a seven horse, which was uh, looking you good for was about 22 minutes. <laughs> Anyways, move on. I'll t- I listened to Edzo. Did a, he did a call-in radio thing on WGN Radio in Chicago, and I listened to it on my phone as I was standing waiting to make my bets. Okay, yeah. he knows what he's talking about, yeah. and I didn't win it yet. Yeah. Well, oh. I thought I won like you. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Bob Newmeyer was doing the Bruins. for f- The five years I was doing the Providence Bruins, he was doing the Bruins on WBZ Radio in Boston, which is a big... Uh, Still one of the more prestigious radio stations in the country, and they used to carry, they're one of the first radio stations in the country. Them and KMOX and KDKA in the States were the biggies back in the day. Anyway, um, Numi's kind of a free spirit. I don't think he was a guy that was going to do this for 30 years. I think he, he kind of liked doing it, but he had other things he wanted to do, other interests. He was a sports anchor, liked the ponies. So anyway, uh, he decided that he was going to move on. Um, and I had known the guy I ended up doing the games with Bob Beers had worked a he had worked with Bob Newmeyer for three years. Bob Beers was coming down doing he was playing for the Providence Bruins a bit like my last couple of years there late in the season, and he had kind of mentioned it to me. And then I had, I had already heard through the grapevine that this was going to be open. Kind of put a bow on it. They had about sixty people that applied, and then they narrowed it down to ten to five. The Holy final Lord. five of us had to go in. It would be like sitting in a room we're in right now. Okay, you know, for the most part, kind of an empty room, table, some microphones. We had to audition. I had to audition 
sitting there calling a period of a Bruins game off a monitor from the year before in an empty room with no crowd, no nothing, no ambient noise. On a monitor, you know, we we didn't have these 50-inch flat screens. It was a tiny monitor. Did they let you know the game ahead of time? Yeah. Yes. Could you get a copy of it? Well, no, but I did... Did some research. I did some research, and I I prepared like I was doing a normal game. Yeah, so you knew the players. Yeah. And... um, I don't know. It went well enough. I don't think they gauged too too much off it because it is it, it was it yeah. was a far from an exact science. Anyway, but a good way to see a guy under pressure, right? Right, and see how yeah you quick yeah. on your feet. So that whole this whole process from the time it kind of opened up to the time I ended up getting it was about two months. So for about two months, every time the phone rang, I was convinced it was going to be them saying, uh, "Sorry, Dave. thanks, but no thanks." Yeah, enjoy the winter but, in Providence. Yeah, have another fun year, busting yeah. wherever, right? Yeah, and. Whenever they called me and said, uh, if you're agreeable, would like to make an offer to be the next radio voice of the Boston Bruins. I, wow. I didn't hear anything after that. Like I, They kind of talked about money and I'd have health insurance. Okay, that's good. <laughs> and the rest of it was, I was, it was a blur. But, um, you know, that's the call you wait for. The other funny aside to that is, Gary, we both know Chuck Caton, Hall of Fame announcer in the NHL, forever with the Whalers and the, and the Canes. Yep. Um, I'll back it up a little bit. The initial thought when the radio job for the Bruins opened up was that Chuck Caton was going to get the job because uh, the Hurricanes had only been down there about five years, I think, in Carolina. There was thought he wanted to move back to New England from, you know, he had gone from Hartford to to Raleigh. Um, And there was this guy, Jim Baker, who wrote a sports media column in the Boston Herald back home. And I'll never forget this. I was doing the Providence Bruins games. We're busing to Quebec City, the old Le Colisee, to open up a playoff series. So I go over to this, it's a Hilton now, but it was a Holiday Inn at the time next door to the rink in Providence to get a couple of newspapers, an eight-hour bus ride, get comfortable. I'm standing there in the Holiday Inn, and I open up the Herald, and the headline is, Newmeyer leaving Bruins Post, Caton considered frontrunner. And I thought to myself, all right, I grew up in Rhode Island. I've been watching and listening to the Bruins my whole life. I've been calling their farm teams games for five years. And I read this thinking, how can the game be over already? The job I've wanted is open, but it seems like it's not open. So I called. I left the Holiday Inn, went back to my desk at the Providence Civic Center, now the Dunkin' Donuts Center. And I didn't have the number for WBZ radio. I called information to get it. It was like 8.30 in the morning. And Ted Jordan, was what at the time, he's not anymore, was the guy who ran the station, the general manager station. So I called, and I said, uh, the main number, I said, could I have Ted Jordan, please? And I'll never know why. Again, it's one of these little wrinkles. We're not sure why this happened. The person that answered the phone didn't say, well, who's calling, or he's not in, or just passed all they said was, yeah, hold on a second, please. So when they passed me through, it threw me. I didn't expect to talk to him. Yeah. So then I was like, well, now what the hell do I say? So I was trying to kind of get myself together. Uh, Mr. Jordan, uh, Dave Gosher, blah, blah, blah. And I could hear him flipping through like a calendar because I said, I'd love to try to talk to you about this position if you have time. And I said, but I'm leaving. I was literally leaving to get on a bus in an hour. I said, I'm going to be gone the next three days. I right, when are you back? Uh, I'm back Friday. Uh, okay, um, Friday at 2. Okay. And just like that, I had an interview with him. So we bust back from Quebec City after the second playoff game through the night. I got home at probably 9 in the morning, but it was good. Like on that bus ride home, 
I made a lot of notes what I wanted to talk about in that interview. And then got home, maybe slept, shower, turn around, drive up there. Shower, that was big. It was, it was, yeah. And again, no suit. And, uh, but that started that process that took two months before it finally, wow. before it finally ended. So you now you have the job with the Bruins, and uh, I'll tell a little story. I'm walking into the rink in Winnipeg, 215, 2015. Yeah, it's about around right. there. It's the middle of the winter, and uh, I'm in my own little world, and I'm going to the morning skate, and I'm going through security, and of course they're like, uh, and I, you know, you need to tell the truth because they're saying my name, hi Gary, hi Gary, all the security, and then you say hi Gary. It was because you, you just put two and two together because they said Gary, you figured, oh, that's Gary Lawless, or did you know who I was? Oh no, I knew who you were, but I'll tell a little funny later. Right. You tell your part. So I turn around, and there's one of the Boston guys, and I and and. <laughs> And it, you and Jack Edwards aren't, you know, you're not identical, but okay, yeah, 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 you, yeah. You, you, you could get mixed up. Yep. So I get to 50-50 chance. I turn yeah. around, is that Gosher? Is that Edwards? It's Edwards. Hi, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> you're like, what a jerk. Dave, Dave Gosher. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Dave. Yeah. About five hours later, my radio show at the time, Hustler and Lawless, well, it's Hustlers and mine, but it was yeah. at, uh, on game days, it was at a Boston pizza just across from the rink, and we would get the play-by-play guys from the other team or an yeah. assistant general manager to come by and w- to, to do the pregame show with us for 15 minutes to do a segment. So I'm sitting there, and in walks in Dave Gosher. <laughs> <laughs> I was still embarrassed. So I walk in there, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. I got to talk to this guy. He doesn't even know who I am. So anyway, and I will tell you that, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but somewhere along the way, when we were doing the interview, I think I called you Jerry because, because <laughs> kind of off mic, you were mouthing to me, it's Gary. Of, oh, hi, Steve. Oh, I remember it. But... Like part of me thinks that so I'm ne- you were worse than me. Well, part of me you thinks, were on my show and you called yeah. me the wrong name. Did I mess it up on purpose? But I don't think I did. I think yeah. I had a like a Freudian slip. But yeah, so that was. Uh, but uh, and now we're sitting at this table. Well, uh, so I'll fast forward. Eric Tosi, I get hired to come and work for the Golden Knights, and as soon uh, like day two or three. Carrie Buboltz calls, who's our president on the business side, calls Eric Tosi and I. Eric is vice president of communications. He hired me, and he's now he's my boss, Dave's boss, Shane's boss, Dan's boss. Call they call us into into Carrie's office, and he hands us these binders, and they're this like they're like two inches thick, and he says, "All right, we got to hire some broadcasters, TV, TV play by play, TV color." Radio play-by-play. Oh, and by the way, Gary, you're going to do a little bit of radio play-by-play. Radio color. That that was that was news to me at the time. Anyways, Eric and I go out of the office. These like there's like there's hundreds of guys for every job, like hundreds. Mm. So I, I I knew a few of the names that were going to be in there, and I knew your name was going to be in there. And I knew Shane Nighty's was going to be in there. Eric says, "Okay, you go home tonight." Read through. I'll I'll read through. We'll come back tomorrow. When you come back tomorrow, give me your give me your top guy. For we we'll, we'll, we set radio aside for the time being. Give me your top guy for TV and your top guy for radio. And so, what, or top guy for for TV play by play and top guy for TV color. 
And we both came back in the next day and said, Dave Gosher and Shane Knighty. We had the exact same. So then we went through a whole process of listening to a whole bunch of other people and talking to other people. And at the end of the day, we came back to, we were right, right from the start. Yeah, Dave Gosher and funny. Shane Knighty. That's funny. Well, and so I'll, I'll tell you my side of all that. So, I, you know, obviously I knew Eric Tosi for, I'd known Tosi for, uh, I want to say 10 years because he had, he was the, um, media relations director with the Bruins. He was kind of the number two guy with the bees. And, um, you know, when he left here, uh, you know, quite honestly, we had had a little, cause we had such a good relationship. I remember we had a coffee in Washington, uh, cause it was last trip was going to be to DC. And I know this much, Gary, I was, I had done, so, you know, we've kind of run through it. I, I had done 24 years of radio at that point. Yes, and how many with the Bruins? 17. 17. So, and I had fortunate, fortunate enough, had a chance to call them winning it. Um, almost win it again, but I think there comes a time where you know you're ready for something fresh and new and different. And the TV job is the best. And job. the TV, you know, and I and I had done a package of games, college games back home for NBCSN on television, the for I for a couple of seasons. So that was when I first, after I did the first game for them, I thought to myself, this is what I want to do. That being said, nobody else thought that because nobody <laughs> hired me until two years ago here. But that thought had been in my mind for a while. So Tosa and I had had a, we had a coffee, and it was this was in uh, December of sixteen, maybe November of December of sixteen, and I knew it was months away. I said, "But just keep me if you can somewhere in your thought process." I said, "I, I said, you know, I, I, I'd like to move the TV. I'm not going to go in, if I'm going to keep doing radio. I'm going to stay put because yeah. right? it's one of the best radio jobs in the league. But if there's an opportunity to broaden what I do and keep growing what I do, the next step for me is television." Anyway, that started that process, but then it kind of it was dormant for a long time because it, well, you know better than I do. They had so many other things to get up and going here, and then what I remember was um, it, it narrowed it down to nine, and then we t- Eric and I talked on the phone for about forty five minutes, like in early July. It was like July fourth week, and then they kind of kept whittling it down, and then eventually, eventually to one. It was very funny. Uh, Eric said to me, can you call Gosher and tell him he's the guy? So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he called. All right. (laughs) I phoned Dave and uh, Gosh, it's uh, Gary Lawless calling. Hey, how are you doing? What are you up to? Christine and I are just sitting here on the back deck having a drink, you know. And so in my mind, I'm like, wow, they're having a great night. And I'm about to throw a real curveball into their (laughs) night. So it's stupid me. I'm like, well, I hate to do this, but I'm about to ruin your night. Not thinking that he's going to immediately say, oh, I didn't get the job. I'm like, we'd like to offer you the the play-by-play job with the Vegas Golden Knights uh, on television. And then... uh, (laughs) So then I said, oh, okay. So I think I said to Christine, uh, I might need another Sam Summer here yes, for this. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, well, because the other part of that story was, and you probably remember this, Gary. So that was like on a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. The previous Friday, Eric had called me and said, you might want to start to think about kind of untangling your situation there. Um, you know, and the, and the radio station was great. Everything was above board. They knew that these conversations were happening, but now it was down to the kind of the end of the game. Yeah, I was at I was in Boston working a sportscasters camp for kids that I worked every summer for probably a decade, and the camp was wrapping up. It was a Friday afternoon. He called me, and I was talking to somebody. I didn't take the call right away because I didn't want to be rude. But then I walked away five minutes later, listened to his voicemail, called him back, and he told me this. And he said, uh, "I'm going to have Gary Lawless call you. This is not." 
the infamous call you're talking yeah. about. This is a few days before. And you kind of started talking about what's going on right here. It's like living in Scottsdale at Palm Springs. It's beautiful. The mountains, it's like you're, you're going to love it. So I said, okay. So we had that conversation on a Friday. I was going to a Red Sox game that night with a buddy of mine who has Red Sox tickets. I couldn't say anything because I didn't want to jinx it. The only person I told was, was Christine. I, on the walk to Fenway, I said, unless I'm wrong on this, and I don't think I am, I think I'm going to get this job. And then I call it Sam. And then you call it Sam. Going to ruin your night four days later. What a jerk. Uh, anyways, but it worked out to say yes. the least. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, we're going to have to do another one of these because I haven't even got to the job, and I want to ask you so much about uh, about what it's like to to be the play by play, the TV play by play voice of the of the Vegas Golden Knights. So we'll, we'll have to do a, a chapter two sometime down the road, but. Get into working with Shane. Yeah, all that, of that that's stuff. a half hour on its own. What's it been like for you? Uh, working with Shane or no, the gig no, in no, the, the, the whole gig. I, I started my. I did a similar one of these with Shane, and I started it with. You made a bet on Vegas and the Vegas Golden Knights. If you had to cash the ticket, would it be a would it be a winner? Oh, overwhelmingly a winner for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because I think for me, you know, it's easy to sit here now and you, and it's been everything it's been for two years, but you don't know that going into it. And you're hoping for the best. You don't know how the team's going to be. Um, you're picking up your whole life. And for me, moving 2,600 miles, I mean, it's, it's, it is a big roll of the dice. Um, but I also knew I was ready for something different and new. And, you know, I wanted that kind of the next challenge in my career. Um, I love doing the TV. I love it. Um, but I think more importantly for me, Gary, it, it always to me comes down to three words, quality of life, personally and professionally. I work with great people. I work for great people. Um, I live in a region of the country that is phenomenal. That's the weather's off the charts all the time. You know, and I'll trade 110 in the summer for 60 in January, especially from the weather we come from yeah. any day of the week. Um, so I wanted to do something bigger and I wanted, I wanted to be surrounded by great people. And because as you know, we're together a lot as a group, right? Like the four of us, yes. Dan, Gary, Dave, and Shane. If it's like a family, it's like, yeah. a, it's like four brothers yeah. in this case. We're together all the time, you know? And, but you know, that ability to be around great people, to have a job that um, look, if you told me at 22 at Boston University, if you told me at seven years old I would be doing the Bruins radio one day, I probably would tell you I wouldn't be looking that hard for another job. But yeah. I'm a long way from 22. And I think if you're wired and you want to continue to grow and develop and get better, this for me was going to be an opportunity to do that. Never imagining that not even two years into it, it would be all that it's turned out to be. It has been... Uh... Well, we're going to do one of these where you're going to interview me. So, yeah, well, so, uh, so we, I have a part two, which is just too good to be exactly. true. And now I'm going to, yeah. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to turning the tables on you. This will be great. <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun. And uh, I actually got to know a little bit more about you that I didn't already know. So, uh, and I hope for the listener, you got to, uh, uh, to know a ton of things. I can't let you go without. And I'm just going to give you a three, two, one, and you got to sing the, the opening to whatever song <laughs> you want to sing. Are you ready? Three. Two, one. Well, since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. 
It's down on the end of Lonely Street. It's Heartbreak Hotel. I feel so lonely, baby. I feel so lonely. I feel so lonely. I could die. Thank no, you very much. No better way to end than that. <laughs> Dave Gosher. I'm Gary Lawless. Thanks for listening to SLGND, the interview series. Yeah.